0: Good evening on tonight's episode. Look into my eyes when I'm talking to you, said Jamie Redknapp to Gary Neville. Or was that Thomas Tuchel to Antonio Conte? Also, what's happened at Manchester United? And much, much more. This is the Toki podcast. So tonight on the panel, we have... Long-suffering Manchester United supporter DSK. We have a smug-looking Liverpool supporter Radaji, who's still not aware of what's going to happen in tonight's game. We also have a disgruntled Chelsea supporter in Ab. And I'm your host for the evening, Swagat. I think there's only one place where we can start. This was at the Brentford Community Stadium, where the Bees stung Manchester United pretty badly in the first half. Were up four-nil like in the first 30-35 minutes. Before we get into game, I mean, I just want to know what's happening. Who's to blame? Is I mean, we're hearing lots of chatter on, on the social media and the media as well. Is it uh, the ownership? Is it the management of the club? Is it uh, the manager? Is it the players? What's going wrong? DSK, before I uh, let you get started on this, Ashwin couldn't even be here because he's still so heartbroken that he just sent me a voice note. So here's what he had to say about the game.
1: All right, I've had 48 hours to think about this. So the number of F bombs that I will throw will be much lesser than what it would have been had this had we been recording this right after the Brentford game. <clears throat> we went into the season with cautious optimism. We were told that the parasite of owners that we have are making changes that are progressive. We got rid of Edward Ed Wood a banker known for brokering commercial deals to Richard Arnold, a British accountant promoted from within the club, and John Murtock, the so-called director of football, was little to no experience in signing players. What we have seen in that game against Brentford is the club we have supported for so long decimated in front of our eyes. Gone are the days when we could expect the team to come back stronger after a loss. I went into this game and I went on record last week thinking that we would beat Brentford, a team that was still in the championship not long ago. The way we played was an absolute <laughs> disgrace. Right from the start, we had a captain in Harry McGuire, <laughs> who was devoid of all confidence. You saw him making so many stray passes today. That you feel he should play for the under-18s, and he wasn't even our worst player on the pitch. So it's just genuine hate that is coming through. He annoys me. Yeah, the so-called world's best shortstopper in David De Gea, letting in a tame effort go past him. I have defend defended him many attempts but the fact that he can't pass from the back, can't command the box and is also losing his short-stopping ability makes me think he faced the right goalkeeper we should go with. We had a centre-back today whose height and physicality have been exposed, even though we have been protecting him and calling him Fabio Canavaro and whatnot. Welcome to the f- Premier League, Martinez. Relegated teams in the Premier League will eat Eredivisie for dinner. We have a left-back who seems to be in the club only because he had one great season for the club and the national team. But it's otherwise a calamity. Our forwards are devoid of ideas. Our greatest players and legends of the club want, want to leave us for <clears throat> personal gro- glory. Don't even get me started on Cristiano. I've de- defended him so much as well. Doesn't want to play for the club. Get it. We are relying on creativity from a man who was on the slide at Spurs. Got shipped to Syria where football is played in second gear. And it's a medical risk. Only for the manager to play him in a deep lying midfield role because he did not get the central defensive midfielder we had asked for for the last six years. But this goes beyond the players. This goes to the absolute inefficiency the club operates in. As a rival fan, you may say, Swagat, oh, the Glazers have spent billion pounds in transfers. They have done so much for the club over the past twenty odd years. You won the Premier League. You won the Champions League. But Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill were basically plastering the cracks on an establishment that was withering away. 10-15 years ago, as Gary Neville pointed out um, on Sky, I know he, he he got a bit emotional. So am I. All United fans are emotional right now. We had the best stadiums. We had the best training crowd. Some of the best players in the world wanted to join us. It was always Real Madrid, Barcelona or Man United. Today you have an unproven manager at the helm who joined from an inferior league, obsessed with players he has worked with before, no clear vision from the board, ownership taking away millions of pounds away without investing any of their own money into the club. All they are doing is sitting on their in a luxury pad in Florida while while asking their employees to do their bidding. Joe Gleaser needs to needs to take the next plane from the US and explain to the fans. What his plans are, and think deliver on those plans. Something has to give. Something has to give. And I, I know we are not we are not Paris Saint Germain, right? We, we don't have ultras. Like we don't want to. We don't want to resort to that. But these fans have suffered long enough. This, these are some of the most passionate fans in the world, and this, they just can't keep living this miserable life because of the failings and the greed of a family who are an absolute disgrace and scum of the. Highest order. Just, 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 just can't take it
0: anymore. So powerful stuff there, uh, DSK. The stage is yours.
2: Yeah. Uh, so Ashwin there spoke his heart out. So let me take a step back and then try to look at what happened in the game. Uh, so the, the Brentford team and the manager especially had done the homework quite well. They looked at the template that Brighton did and replicated and replicated it quite well. Uh, and the template played out, and the game was over in the first 30-35 minutes. Now, who is to blame? Uh, I'd start with the players. Uh, I'll give uh, I'll give Hat some some leeway here because he has come he has come in new he has come with this new philosophy, and he has been trying to coach the team. Uh, and he, he had seen some success before, but once you hit the ground running in the Premier League, you need the players to adapt to the situation also because he had. Whatever he has been trying to do, it's been quite open and covered well in the media. And right from the first game of the Premier League, the teams are targeting in his template, mainly with two tactics. One is, he's trying to play out from the back through the number six. In game number one, he tried it with Fred, who got absolutely destroyed by Bright Brighton. Game number two, he tried to change it around, played Ericsson in the same role. He got targeted, could not touch the ball. Uh, he tries to play it, back, uh, play it out from the back through David Aguirre, who we definitely know is a keeper who can't do that. We seemed very confident at the beginning of the season saying that, hey, for Spain, uh, I play out from the back. Uh, It's now because I never got the opportunity. But now uh, you you see it out quite clearly. Uh, What I... So, yes, the, the coach is trying to do something. But the problem is the players are not probably able to execute it quite well. And at multiple locations, what I felt is... Players are probably not smart enough to think on the feet. Like if you have tried to do a technique and uh, it's not working out, or somebody is countering that, then how do you think on your feet to adapt to it? And David de was the typical example for that. Split centre backs. the number six is targeted. Both the there are two strikers on both the centre backs. Why why not play a chip ball or long ball? He doesn't try to do that. Place it right into the feet of the player who is being marked, and one by one the goals started coming in. Uh, then for the third goal, uh, it was the what, what was the next big topic that Lissandro Martinez and his height. You have a 5'9 uh, centre-back. Everyone in the Premier League uh, talks about his... Uh, was the, we're talking about his height, multiple memes and videos and trolls going on, and then it proved right. So, uh, there I'll still get a benefit in, in for the set-piece because he slipped, but there is another routine that you continuously saw throughout the game and probably that happened in the previous game that the big striker is always on Lisandro Martinez and the keeper of both Brighton and Brentford were playing in the balls directly in. so he never wins the first uh, ball and then you have Luke Shaw Harry Maguire and Fred or Erickson who are not able to get the second balls so the game completely got, got bypassed United so for a month, month and a half you had Eric Ten Hag coaching his team to press from the front, and there are two teams who have come in and said, oh, you want to press from the front? We'll play the long ball to your shortest centre-back. And the game is completely gone. So, the players not being able to adapt to it, saying that, hey, if Maguire and Shaw and Fred should see that Martinez is getting targeted, if that's happening, then why don't they make themselves ready for the second ball? That is one. And then David De Gea, if he he says uh, that he can't play out from the back, then then think of the feet and start playing long balls. So these are the two biggest misses I found from the players. Uh,
0: and also, uh, Ten Hag also mentioned the fact that whatever tactical stuff that they had prepared, the players threw it in the bin. So he he's also obviously pissed off about uh, the the performance there.
2: True, that that that, that is there. Uh, but you, you can also also argue that. Uh, has he has he spoken enough to the players to adapt to it? Uh, because in the first match, he played a system uh, or a formation with... false man formation with probably the wrong set of players. And he got completely destroyed in that first half till he tweaked it around. So, not sure about that. But I still won't blame him. Uh, now, other than the match, when you look uh, look at what is the bigger problem, you you brought in Eric Ten Hag for the system. You had reactive managers before Unola and probably before that in Jose. The problem was that on one uh, on the other side you had Man City and Liverpool playing this exa- uh, expansive style of football. You brought in a player, a manager, to bring in a, bring his own players and have his own philosophy. Then back the manager, right? He, we knew from day number one that he's looking for a ball playing number six in uh, Frank Uh What's happening there? you have no clue. You try to play. McDonald and Fred. uh, After two months of training and discussion, then it's back to square one. What's the whole point? Uh, United have been talking about having a striker. You go into a season with Cristiano Ronaldo, who is looking at his way out and is being sold, or he's being linked to every other club in Europe, and Anthony Martial, who has scored eight goals in two seasons, Uh, and now you have gone into a stage where. Uh, on on the Friday before the first game, you had Richter uh, Hag talking about oh we will not sign uh, any players unless we have the right option. then you get thrashed by Brighton and the, the next topic of discussion is well oh, let's get uh, Arnootoich and uh, Ravio in. So that speaks volume about United's transfer strategy and the current state. Maybe maybe miracles would happen. maybe in the next two weeks you get uh, uh, Messi Neymar along with uh, Frankie Diong. But this is going to be a really, really, really hectic five months, four months till November. And you're already playing catch-up. Where would you get the team together to sit and play and coach so that you at least can make the attempt at top four? Uh, puzzles me.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I think DSK really hit the nail on the head when he was talking about not being, players not being smart enough, perhaps, right? That's the thing that stood out to me in that game. Uh, one thing I, I'm not maybe on the same page as DSK is when he said, you know, you get a new manager to do certain thing, back the manager. I'm on board with that. Obviously, you need to back the manager and get the profile of players. But for me, I'm 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 like, I don't understand the the strategy that's going on at United at all. Like, <laughs> all the signings the Frankie De Jong scenario is is been a joke does he even want to play for united i think that's the doubt i have right now and it's been it's been several months of having this discussion about frankie and he may not have ever wanted to play for united somebody who's and
0: even on even on our group we've been discussing the fact that do they have a backup if they, if he doesn't want to come and this this that doesn't there hasn't seemed to be an answer till now and the answer apparently is rabio which again confounds uh, belief i would yeah.
3: say yeah yeah i mean ravi i mean okay let we'll come to rabio but but if Frankie joins chelsea then somebody at united needs to be fired what what have they been doing for 2 months this is clearly then an intent issue on the player side right and somebody it needs to be somebody's job to know this shit
0: I mean, he seems to be uh, uh, saying that he do- he wants to play Champions League. He, play- he wants to play Champions League, so potentially that's a reason. But if that is the reason, then there should have been more proactive action in a different direction much earlier. I mean, you you don't need to wait till the last day to Absolutely. say yeah okay. You know what? He's now playing uh, in London, so we now need to on the 30th of August we now need to start looking at different options.
3: Absolutely, it's three months ago that the Champions League player, the teams were decided, right? It's not something new. I mean, somebody needs to lose their job if he ends up signing for Chelsea. It's it's been a shit show. I said shit show in the first episode. We had some banter that I'm talking about United and Everton and things like that. But it's it's actually a shit show. Then okay, then the whole rabbi on Arnautovic thing happens, and then a retraction immediately on the whole Arnautovic thing. It's is this a Premier League no, club? I, I, I mean, let alone one of the most like famous like powerful, biggest historic clubs is this something that happens at a premier league club there's these are all small town problems where you uh, somebody just makes a decision today ends up going on twitter seeing some backlash and then saying hey let's let's change track and go in a different direction just just to come where in just planning? to come in I mean, on that
0: one i mean i'm okay with the arnautovic decision obviously i think you guys will talk more about the rabio uh, stuff but arnautovic decision i'm i think i'm okay it's apparently to do with uh, potentially racist stuff etc etc it's it's virtually the same thing that that Reno Gattuso basically didn't get the Spurs job for. So that that bit I'm I'm still okay with. I'll tell you where I'm not okay, Swag.
3: You don't have to be told by Twitter followers about this this stuff. Who's doing the research? You should know all this stuff before you make a PR exercise of, hey, I might be looking into this player before deciding to go, go against this player. It is not, it doesn't make any sense. And it was a PR exercise. They, they made it clear that, hey, I've heard the supporters' complaints and now we're backing off. Honestly, I feel that's less professional than even going after them in the first place. Like, the fact that they clearly have not done enough research, they don't know what the potential pitfalls of the signing were, and then they got caught out.
2: You know, Manchester United should not be going for Arnautovic. Leave leave his past, uh, or leave his... Uh, whatever he has said about other players, uh, leave the races part. If on the first week of August, yeah, Manchester yeah. United, I, uh, under a new manager, is looking for a striker... Marko Arnautovic is not the player, right? And that that itself is a bigger problem. Regarding Rabio, I personally feel that he is probably not going to play, is not a replacement for Frankie Dior. So the Frankie Dior position would be, would be between him and Ericsson. Rabio would more be the box to box midfielder who is an uh, upgrade on McTominay. Because if you saw that 90th minute floated ball from McTominay in the last game where it cleared everyone and t- went into Rosie, then you probably see the quality of the player. So, if for 15 million, somebody who has some who is an upgrade, I'm fine with it. But why why so late in the cycle? If this guy was available, United probably should have gone for him much before. Uh, that is my view. But considering the options are uh, uh, Fred McTominay and James Garner, I, I would rather take Ravi at this point of time. So, you have Murto who has joined in. And he is supposedly pulling the strings. But he is also new to the job. And he has lost his negotiator. He has lost other folks. So currently United are in a situation where they do not have the contacts across Europe to pull the strings. They have fired the two heads of their scouting department. So the the current situation is they have no clue. And they have gone to the manager. What do you want? And he has given a bunch of names that he is aware of from uh, the Dutch league. And if that those are the only options in front of United, uh, God bless us. Um, and yeah, Euro, Europa Quarter Final is 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 probably the best thing that we can hope for at this point of time.
4: Yeah, I think you just said it right towards the end of what you were just talking. But for me, it's just scouting failure. I think, see, the one part of it is you know you're trying to get Franky to come. You may have heard that he wants to play Champions League football. United are not in the Champions League. Maybe a little money will sway his mind. You know, those thoughts could have entered uh, whoever it is, I think or whoever it is who's doing the negotiations, right? The other part is, if you are scrambling uh, in the middle of August to get a couple of players over the line uh, that the manager seems to have recently identified, then where was that initial scouted shortlist to begin with?
3: Classic Romeo-Juliet scenario, except in this case that Juliet probably never loved Romeo in the first place and is just filing for a restraining order at the end of all of this. It makes... It's a tops club, a serious club should have guardrails to protect for these things. For I was willing to mm-hmm. give all of this a pass until I heard the Arnautovich rumour. And the Arnaut is a clear buddy of Ten Hag and McLaren. It's well documented. Arnautovich's greatest career ac- accomplishment is basically the... He probably could do it in a cold, windy night at Stoke. That's all he's done in his entire career. And he's being linked to joining United. It, it it makes no sense. It's is a real joke.
2: Uh, probably that's only that's a reason, right? So you on a on a proper good green carpet you had you have Marshall to glide through the pitch and score. Now, if you want to go and get stuck into someone who do we have and that's Arnotovich. But yeah, that is that's just a joke. Uh the, the uh, we can close the section with this thought. And this is on Woodward selling the United job to Klopp by calling it the adult version of Disneyland. land. I think this is this is probably even two steps more. This is like the greatest circus ever, and and it's a unending joke uh, and uh, for in front of football and hopefully for all of you, not United fans. It's a lot of entertainment watching this.
0: Right. So before we move on, I mean, just a shout out to Brentford. I mean, they they came uh, to the match with a plan. They executed the plan and they reaped the rewards. I mean, it wasn't all just United saying, yeah, I mean, take three points and go, but. Yeah, credit to Brentford where it's due. Uh, Moving on, City versus Bournemouth. uh, We were expecting a high-scoring game from City and that's what happened. Uh, Apart from the fact that Haaland decided to deceive his fantasy owners and... yeah, didn't give them too much to talk about, but again, expected dominant performance against uh, a low-level team, and Pep must have definitely said, "Oh, they, they were very tough to play against, and we had to play out of our skin, like he like he usually does against um, the second-half teams." Uh, Rada, I think uh, you have in, you have some thoughts about Holland. Uh,
3: was really interesting was after the game, Pep said that now with Erling, they should always all our players should always know that somebody's there. That line was a bit scary to me because City already scored like 500 tap-ins every year and now if they're going to, this was them thinking that a false nine might not be in position and now Haaland is there and they're going to start playing those balls more that, that is a bit scary, it sucks for everybody else in the league but his one-on-one dueling is a cheat code and see, this is all in a game where he didn't really do much. He had maybe... He had eight touches. He had two passes in this game. That's it. Eight touches, two passes. One of them was an assist. But his one-on-one dueling is just... Is, it's cheating. Like, he held two guys off, fell, fell on the floor and then played the assist to Gundogan. In the next... Uh, like a few minutes later, he bumped into the centre-back. That guy went flying and then he collected it in front of goal and he... A better touch and it should have been a, a goal for him. Uh, it's a little scary considering that he's still... Getting his grip around the team, the system and what is expected out of him. But the way things are looking, uh, I think he's going to break this league.
4: Yeah. And as was, you know, I was mentioning something on our group also yesterday. I know City don't have the biggest squad in terms of sheer numbers. But the fact that they can do five substitutions, I think is going to be very, very crucial for them. If you recall the game, Foden scored, City are already 3-0 Foden scored and was taken off at half-time. You get to take off uh, your Holland with some twenty odd minutes to go. You get to take off Kyle Walker with ten minutes to go. It's and you get to take off Gundogan with around I think half an hour or so to go, right? It's those minutes over the course of a season really add up, right? And we're talking about a team that is usually two or three nil up by halftime, right? So if all of those minutes can be brought back in in terms of additional Stamina towards the end of the season. Not that City need any additional stamina. That just sort of guarantees that you get to play your Kevin De Bruyne for 30, 34, 35 games. And if you can keep Haaland and De Bruyne and Foden going for that number of games a season, you know City are bound to get 95, 96 points yet again. Right. So I think the five subs is going to be very, very uh, beneficial to City this time.
0: Yeah. Moving on from Manchester, coming back to good old London that we keep referencing. Um, Arsenal won again. Uh, For me, it seemed a bit like last uh, week's performance again. Um, They seemed to be in control some of the time. Then they also displayed a bit of a soft belly in some phases as well. I mean, um, last week, I think Palace didn't have that cutting edge to make merry when they actually had the chances. Leicester had slightly better strikers and managed to get the ball in, in the back of the net. But um, Arsenal, with their superior attacking capability, managed to win through the day. But yeah, I I mean, um, the way we've been looking at Arsenal from the start, I think we still have some question marks over where they sit in the pile. Fresh convert to Christianity, Radhaji. I mean, Jesus has changed your life
3: damn right damn right and what a start to the season they've had i mean um, they've been i think they're quickly becoming the must watch team uh, right now and like you said you you hit the nail on the head exactly they're so good to watch and so smooth in the attacking sense but they also have just the right amount of softness in the underbelly that makes it like a contest each time So, I think as a neutral, it's going to be really exciting to watch Arsenal games because… But my man, my number nine, what can I say, man? He had a great game. He can press, he can work hard, he can head it, he can dribble past five guys, he can hold back, curl it into the top corner. Um, He can hold off a big centre-back, turn him, he can play one-twos and get get into the box with space. Um, there's nothing he can't do. He had 15 touches in the box um, uh, for in the game. He should have had five or six goals, and that's no exaggeration. Like you said, gap Jesus, he can walk on water, turn water to wine. It's great to watch.
0: I mean, so much praise, and yet you forgot to take him in your draft team. Ha! <sighs> Come on. Anyway, I mean Leicester again, um, softer, and uh, still not sure where they stand in the grand scheme of things. Still no signings. Schmeichel is gone no money seems to be coming in still waiting on uh, seeing if madison and tailwinds go anywhere and then reinvesting that i suppose but yeah uncertain times ahead for mr rogers
3: so just a quick shout out to rk who couldn't be here today i mean he called that set piece goal he called it on the podcast last week um vadi and jesus duly delivered uh, they conceded 20 goals from set pieces last season and they're already off the mark um, Palace was actually on their heels with 16 goals last season from set-pieces. So, he was hoping my prediction last week of Palace conceding to Liverpool of a set-piece comes true as well.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, Moving on uh, to the south coast of England. I mean, this seems to be turning into a geography lesson, but uh, uh, Brighton nil, Newcastle nil. Uh, Brighton had quite a lot of chances, but they couldn't make them pay. Thanks to a certain Mr. Nick Pope, who was trending in the, in the, in the last three days uh, on Twitter. I think it started with some fan group from Newcastle putting up um, some quote. This movement basically taking over Twitter, where you had some burger joints also tweeting about Nick Pope. And it finally ended up with, after the game, Brighton tweeting Nick Pope frustratingly because he had kept them at bay. But uh, nothing much came out of that game, apart from the fact that Brighton still look uh, good for a better showing than last season. Newcastle uh, continuing to build quietly. Uh, They gave a full debut to Sven Botman, who's someone I'm very interested in seeing. This ends part one. When we come back, we'll start with uh, Stamford Bridge and Chelsea versus Spurs. Welcome back. In part two, we're starting off with the Battle of the Bridge. And uh, as a Chelsea fan, I have to say, I feel a bit robbed by the result uh, of the game. Um, I think Chelsea dominated the game. We were definitely the better side. And uh, despite all of that, some dodgy refereeing. Anthony Taylor has been getting petitions uh, in his name about uh, him not ever being allowed to be in charge of a Chelsea game ever and stuff like that. I don't want to go too deep onto refereeing decisions, but yeah, I mean, nowadays referees have the support of VAR as well, and I I failed to understand uh, how what happened with Cucurella was uh, allowed to stand. And uh, VAR took a look at it and didn't do anything. Uh, maybe there's some technicality which I'm missing, but it didn't make sense to me for there to be no um, punishment for Romero for that. Uh, In terms of the game, I think Chelsea did pretty well. Uh, We controlled uh, the game. Uh, The movement was pretty fluid. We were able to change our shape to counter spurs whenever uh, it it was like uh, Mount and Sterling were moving around, switching uh, onto the players so that Whenever Spurs had the ball, they did not have many free options to go to, to build something. So, in those terms, I think Tuchel did well. Um, I think uh, the internet is very happy with the fact that uh, there is finally a fiery rivalry in the Premier League after the nice guys of Klopp and Pep basically saying... We are Karan and Arjun, but now we finally have two folks who are ready to fight about it. Uh, shades of Mourinho there uh, with uh, 2 kill celebration in the second goal. Conte saying today on Instagram, good thing I didn't see you running in front of me. Would have been a perfect opportunity to trip you up. That is what you deserve. So I, I'm already excited about the return leg and interested to see what uh, happens going forward.
4: Yeah, the game I think was the first proper, uh, you know, the I think the first proper game of the season where it felt like the Premier League is back, right? Um, yeah, like you said, you know, Chelsea dropped two points. Uh, I think no matter what happened, no matter what the referee may have done or not done, you should not concede from a corner in the ninety fifth minute, right? It denotes or it showcases a fragility which should not be there in the top sides so i was telling on our group also yesterday where you know uh, until that fragility goes away chelsea will not be able to compete with the uh, two teams that finished up of them last season uh, i also don't want to spend too much time on the referee uh, this is not the first time uh, anthony taylor uh, has been involved in some dodgy referee in a chelsea match this petition that you talked about, I think the first one of those petitions came more than a year ago. Yeah. Uh, if I recall, right, whether he should have referred or not. I believe it has some thirty or 40,000 odd signatures. Um, yeah, I think um, it was a good game. Uh, definitely two points dropped for Chelsea. I think Spurs played well in the sense that they stayed in the game. I think that's pretty much all they could do. Chelsea dominated. But I think you have to stay in the game and I think that's what Conte also would have probably instructed his team to do. So, I think it's a good point for Spurs. Definitely a better point than the one Chelsea got. Uh, yep. And I'm excited to see this rivalry. Finally, we have a good rivalry. And um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Although, if you ask me personally, you know, should we even be treating Spurs as our equals?
0: I mean, it's, it's a fair change in attitude that we've had, uh, all of us, from the season preview when we thought that Spurs might even be in with us. Outside shout of uh, getting into second, but just uh, touching upon uh, the refereeing bit once again. I think I remember hearing last year, particularly in the league, uh, there's a total. There used to be a totally football league show, which used to talk about the championship and League One and League Two, and they also talked about refereeing uh, decisions and stuff like that. And they said that basically there's there's, there's a dearth of uh, elite quality referees. So which is why even if there is, uh, they deem that there is some punishment to be meted out to Anthony Taylor, the max that will happen is that he basically stops refereeing Chelsea games because uh, the only way that uh, you can have more referees is that they come up from the, the championship or League One. Basically, the referees also get promoted. And apparently, there the levels are even worse. So we need to be mindful that it's probably just a very small pool uh, And the best probably that Tuchel also mentioned is that it's probably just best that he doesn't referee Chelsea games going forward. But yeah, limited pool. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I
4: think um, uh, Tuchel will almost certainly get a touchline ban for not just the red card, but also his comments post the game. I believe he said something to the effect of I might not be there next week on the touchline, but the referee still gets to blow his whistle or something like that. So if not the red card, those comments will certainly see him... At least get a hefty fine, if not a touchline ban. So you know, uh, add to that, uh, Ngolo Kanti getting injured yesterday, which and it looks like a bad hamstring pull again, or a hamstring tear. I hope that's not the case. Uh, I think Chelsea are in for a bit of a tough time. On the bright side, we will get to see more of Conor Gallagher in midfield. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah.
0: I was also impressed by uh, kulibali and Kukurela finally uh, playing a uh, full game, and he he did well. I mean, both. Actually, all three of the new signings did well. They they played their part. They actually were involved in both of the goals. So hopefully, good times ahead. Let's see uh, what comes up. I'm a bit surprised with the Anthony Gordon links. Unable to understand what's going on there. Yeah, but uh, yeah,
4: I could go on a whole rant about that.
3: It's pretty clear, right? <laughs> it's pretty clear, man. All you need is goals. You let go of Lukaku. So, you should sign You should sign a… What, what is he? Number 10? Number 7? Number 8.5? Yeah, yeah it's,
0: it makes yep. sense. Makes yeah, sense. Sign, let's sign the false number 9 from Everton, basically. Yes, that should do the trick. If you look at…
3: I went on the… I think last week, uh, uh, I was discussing how even if Everton do create chances, I don't see who's going to score with the likes of Gordon up front, Demerai Gray and all that. And I think, I think Chelsea must be listening to the pod. Great addition to their squad if it happens. I am looking forward to that.
4: Yeah. If you look at the problems that Everton are suffering, it is almost exactly similar, up front at least, in the final third to the Chelsea problem. In the sense, obviously, Chelsea are a much more well-loyal unit. They create more chances. They are more quality players. But if you leave that aside for a minute, Chelsea always land up in the spot where they create a chance, but there is no one to you know bully a defender, get that finish in, that centre forward, right? it's kind of similar for everton no matter what they do and they create the chance to, you know great as a good run or gordon himself they just cannot finish it off and they've lost to Charles and also right so to sign a guy who's struggling to get goals he's doing well in his role gordon right he runs up and down the field all game but to get him and hope that that will solve the problem uh, i don't know i i, I know that Chelsea may not be looking at him as a solution to this problem. They may just see value in having a player like that for the long term. But uh, that one completely baffles me.
3: Just on the on the game, right? I think uh, Swag, you mentioned that some of us were really bullish on Spurs, and uh, I do, I do still have them top four comfortably, maybe three. I still have Arsenal ahead of Spurs, but anyway, I they don't. I don't think this game is going to be any different. They are definitely going to have a really strong season. They were not at all as good as I expected them to be. Uh, they were quite poor, I thought. Um, not the high energy, winning the ball back, dominating, not giving the opponent time to breathe. I didn't see any of that. That said, to come out with a 2-2 draw, I think it's a great result. And those are the kind of results that probably go against you when you're not a serious team. So, it's good good for them that it went that way. No way that the goal should have stood. There is no chance that either of the goals should have stood. Both were clear fouls Uh, going back to the one we saw with Henderson last week where maybe the argument that is being made on these is that it was way behind it was 45 seconds before the goal was actually scored then I mean then what the hell is the point of VAR, right so you're you're excusing mistakes as long as they happen a decent amount of time before something important happens so that really sucks but anyway it was a good game absolutely brilliant game to watch for the neutrals Uh, because of all the drama, Kane scoring a 95th minute, the managers, oh my god, I don't think I've seen anything like that since the days of Arsene Wenger and uh, who was that guy from West Ham, Pardew, I think, yeah, Pardew and uh, Wenger, those fights, this was just superb, I mean, the shake and nonsense at the end, it's proper shithousery and as a neutral, it was just great to watch. Going back to the pre-game or probably, I don't know whether it was last week, the comments that Jamie Redknapp and Gary Neville of "Look at me when I'm talking to you" kind of comments that happened on Sky. It was it was almost a retake of that on the pitch. (laughs) It was just superb. I mean, I, I have no problem with this. I know a lot of people going on Twitter and saying that this is not how a manager should behave and things like that. I much prefer the managers are who they like. They're being natural rather than being the shifty. Uh, Brendan rodgers kind of, yeah, just reading out of a book of what to say when kind of situation. I loved it. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for the next Spurs-Chelsea game. That'll be fun.
0: Just a final word on this. Uh, who's going to be missed more on the touchline next week for their team? Tuchel or Conte?
3: So, I think Conte. Um, in general, I think Conte is much more of a on-the-sideline Transfer the energy to the players, kind of manager. Not to say that Tuchel is not good at it, but just that Conte I think raises the bar on that. Yep, agree,
0: Conte. All right. So moving on, um, we also had Aston Villa two Everton one. Um, Rather, Gerard uh, finally got a win, but uh, just reading today, Diogo Carlos has now ruptured his Achilles and he's likely to be out for six to nine months. Comes handily right after he's uh, stripped. Uh, Mings of the captaincy and told him he's probably not good enough for the first 11 and now he's going to tr- try and have to nurse him back into the team and uh, massage his ego a bit. How's that going to go you think?
3: See, let me just start by saying I think everybody who's on our football, on our WhatsApp group knows my thoughts on Tyrone Mings. Mm-hmm. I think he is by far the most overrated player in the league. Uh, that said, he's going to be critical for Villa going forward. Uh, weird how that works out. Yeah, but um, I think it was the so okay, the, Gerard. To his to to be fair to him, he wanted to make the decision on who the captain was, and he inherited Mings as the captain. So the, I I would liken this somewhat to um, when Southgate took over the English team and Henderson was the captain, but he wanted to make a decision and choose the captain, and he ended up going with Kane. I don't think it's anything to do with the caliber of the player or any personality. It's just the coach is looking for something else out of the leader. So that part aside, game was really, really poor in terms of quality. It was so bad. I mean, I'm a, obviously, as a Liverpool fan, I, I backed Gerard to the hilt. And I'd like to think that in the battle of the midfielders, Gerard came out on top just like he, I in my head, he always did. But... The, the truth is, they played like two relegation teams, honestly. like Villa, I had them doing decently this season. But I didn't see anything to prove otherwise. The game was... It was really bad. Everton, you guys know my thoughts already. I have talked about it in de- in depth. I think they are in... Yeah, your,
0: your love for Everton is... Known worldwide. Uh, honestly,
3: now. I mean I know that they still have the likes. I, I don't know whether he's left or he's just injured, but Andre Gomez is, I think, out with an injury. These are higher quality players that should come back in and maybe improve them. But but I'm now getting a bit worried about uh, Villa as well. I mean they have they don't have excuses in terms of personnel, they don't have excuses in terms of the like set being settled. I think they've recruited well, they have a lot of money that's been spent. Gerard has been there for a while now. If they don't finish in the top ten, I'm worried for um, Gerard's future ambitions as a top level manager.
0: Yeah, and he's been booed a bit as well from the fans from game week one as well. Uh, I mean, I'm not concerned in terms of, like you said, I don't think they'll get sucked into the relegation fight, but yeah, I think expectations were higher, uh, particularly with the amount of money that's been put into Villa uh, over the summer. Um, The car loss injury is obviously unfortunate, but um, yeah, I think they need to show some more improvement in terms of uh, how they play. Uh, Moving on, Southampton 2 leads to both teams who have been tipped for relegation by this pod and um, somehow they have been fighting fit. Up, you had uh, Rodrigo come up against you in the draft this week and he's basically single-handedly consigned you to a defeat.
4: Yeah, uh, Rodrigo was my arch-nemesis this week. He, you know, I think he scored one goal in the first game and now he scored another two. Uh, He's filling that Rafinha White pretty nicely for Leeds. Uh, But I think Leeds will be a little disappointed. They came up against uh, Southampton team... um, which is not very good, as we have also spoken about last week. And uh, I think they let a two goal lead slip, right? Uh, if my memory serves. So that does not bode well at all for Jesse Marsh because it's these kind of games that leads will need to win if they want to stay up and stay up comfortably. Uh, you need to be winning these games. Uh, that said, yeah, like you said, Rodrigo, my arch nemesis, he's ensured that I've lost. A game week, despite scoring a pretty good number of points from my other picks, you know, Haaland and uh, Kondogbia and so on. Yeah, uh, we'll see how Leeds and so that can go from here.
0: I'm uh, I'm, I'm surprised though because um, I mean we've all of us have had different views about the teams that are going to go down. Southampton, Leeds, Fulham, Forest, Brentford, etc. etc. But no one seems to be giving up without a fight. It doesn't seem like there's a Norwich season uh, anywhere uh, in them. There seem to be quite a lot of mediocre teams, but they seem to be mediocre together. It doesn't seem like there's a standout who's just going to give up and say, yeah, okay, you know what, we're just going to go to the championship, that's fine. We'll we'll just take the parachute money and that's it. But a
3: quick shout out now that we talked about the draft there was a lot of chat last week, all through the week about Ab and his draft and his Mitrovic <laughs> and his this and his that. There was a there was a clip of me from episode one and all that that I've heard in the last one week. It was great to see Mitrovic miss a penalty up. That was pretty cool.
4: You know, Salah misses penalties too now and then. It happens to the greatest players, man. So, it's fine. As long as Fulham keep winning those penalties, you know, I'll be happy with my pick. Uh, I think Mitrovic will score… A good heap of goals. Uh, That's it. He did also contribute to my draft loss this week. You know, a penalty I think is a negative two points or something. So that didn't help me either. But I still have faith. Yeah.
0: And rather you talked about forest. Uh, I mean, this forest seems to be full of, not trees, but new signings. I mean, we're already down like number 15 or number 16. And there seem to be more people coming in. Now that linked. I mean, latest signing was Remo Freuler from Atalanta. I mean, people who are aspiring to be top four in Serie A are happy to go to just promoted Nottingham Forest in the Premier League. Hossam Awar is getting linked to them. And it seems to be a pretty strong link. Um, not only does that tell you a quite, quite a lot about the strength of the premier league in terms of um, financial disparity with the other leagues and the strength of the league but yeah it, it's also quite a statement of intent by the nottingham forest uh, management i know we've uh, we've been hearing links with fulham of like 2 years ago or 4 years ago when they when they signed 10 15 players as well a bit of what forest have done this season is born out of necessity because of as we've mentioned earlier because of this high number of uh, loan signings they had in the championship. But it's virtually a new club now and they've got so many players fighting for the same spot. They've got Avonai, your favourite. They've got uh, Brennan Johnson. Now they're also in talks to sign Neil Mope. Who's going to play where? What's happening?
3: (laughs) So, I mean, um, Avonai got off the mark Great to see. One of the best finishes you'll ever see. He had no idea where the ball was, went off his knee and he ended up scoring. Great start to his, uh, well, restart to his Premier League career. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, the reason why I picked Forest as my team to watch this season back in Episode 1 is because of this chaos, right? Like like Joker says, the agent of chaos. It just needs a match. I think the, the fuel is set. Just needs a match. One way or the other, things are going to light up at Nottingham Forest this season.
4: Uh, there are two types of teams that come up right from the championship there's one which comes up and then they change their entire team and then there are those teams which come up and then hardly make any new signings uh, and they and both these categories of teams tend to go back straight back down to the championship so i think it's that finding that middle ground which they which teams fail to do
3: just a quick one before we move on to the next team some outstanding saves a penalty save worst penalty i've seen in a long time but, but some great saves, a double save here and there and a penalty save. If only United had a keeper like that, man, that they can count on. They would do really well. Dean Henderson doing a great job.
4: I remember a Dean Henderson who used to play for United. I wonder if it's the same
3: guy. This is the same guy who apparently cut, cut shop and left before he could even meet Ten Hag because he didn't want any conversation about changing his mind. He was, I mean, it's a nice... Uh, anyway, we've spoken about United enough, I'm sure the 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 fires are burning there
0: <laughs> rubbing salt into the wounds so moving on in part 3 we'll discuss the next round of games right and finally part 3 we look forward to the games uh, coming up uh, we also have Liverpool-Crystal Palace today evening, but we've already discussed that last week. No change in our philosophy as of now. So, coming to the next round of games, interestingly enough, with all that's going on at Manchester United, now they have to welcome Liverpool to Old Trafford. DSK, how optimistic are you on a scale of 0-1? to one?
2: Can I go negative? <laughs> uh... So, yeah, on, on Sunday, United players were supposed to have an off day because they had a Saturday uh, late match. But after the, the drubbing, Tanak apparently got his players in and made them run, run 13.8 kilometers. That is the total distance that Brentford as a team ran more. Uh, so, if he's able to do that throughout the week and get his team conditioned, uh, I expect the score to, to be 2 nil. And a two nil uh, loss is something that I will take at this point of time. Uh, if it doesn't, I have a lot of respect for Klopp and think Klopp has a lot of respect for Man United. So at four 0 he'll stop like both the times last season. So yeah, worst case is four nil, best case is two nil. You no hope for
0: uh, scoring? Is Martial expected to be back for this one, or still no chance?
2: i I've, I've read that he started training. Okay, uh, but. The team is absolutely zero on confidence. So even with Marshall coming back, probably uh, I don't I don't see anything uh, uh, any surprises uh, against a well-oiled Liverpool team.
0: And would Martinez start? I mean, considering they also have Nunes, uh, that would be a bloodbath if Nunes ended up standing next to Lisandro. Do you think that uh, the yeah, fact that he took how, him off? How...
2: Right. It'll be interesting to see uh, because Varan had come on in the second half and did quite well. Uh, also, at the same time, if you look at the fourth goal that United conceded, uh, Maguire was ball-watching for a good couple of seconds. He was completely square on. Uh, had no clue about the threat behind him. So, is Varan and Martinez an uh, option? Because Varan is more mobile and even if Martinez does not get the, the headers, Varan is mobile enough to sweep in. So, We'll have to see how that works out. But maybe United will play three at the back or Martinez as the number six because uh, there, there isn't anyone who can kick the ball. But yeah, let's see how it goes. Yeah, I think
4: if I was a United fan, um, I think the bar I would keep for this game will be low. I just want to see a better starting lineup than the one that started against Brentford. Uh, right, I think the team that played the second half uh, was fairly okay um, and uh, I would want to see the elimination of all those errors that led to goals. I would think I would just go with this low bar and anything that happens over and above this I think is a bonus in that game.
0: Yeah. Uh, any other games that uh, caught your eye um, for this upcoming round? I mean, Twitter is a buzz with oil classico coming up with uh, newcastle facing manchester city the team who they're hoping to dethrone gradually and easily in all due course of time so um, would be their uh, would be city's biggest challenge so far i am guessing i mean more than west ham and definitely more than bournemouth obviously
4: yeah most definitely and uh, i think liverpool fans will be keeping an eye on this one potentially the first Point that city could drop could happen here. Newcastle are really flying wind in their sails, and I believe the game is at Saint James's Park, so uh, there should be a uh, a good crowd uh, setting a great atmosphere there. Uh, yeah, I uh, but you know I think quietly within Newcastle they won't be expecting too much within this game. I think they know that despite the money invested, they're still a few years from catching the teams in the top top six.
0: Yeah. Uh, another game that caught my eye was uh, Everton Forest uh, could could be a six-pointer uh, for the drop, rather for avoiding the drop. Uh, I don't know which Forest plays that game. Uh, is it the first eleven? Is it the original eleven? Is it the new eleven? Is it the third eleven? I don't know. By the time next game, next round matches comes around, they might have signed ten more. So um, don't know, but that sounds an interesting game on paper. DSK. Uh,
2: I hope Ah uh, feeling Lingard. Plays a game. Um, other than Jesus, there is nobody in my fantasy draft team who's scoring any go- uh, sc- scoring any points. Other than Lingard, I've, I went a bit heavy on United and Spurs and haven't done well. So definitely a, a match to look forward. And if Everton don't get anything from this game, then then it'll be a bit of a worry for uh, the Toffees. Uh, the, another game I am looking forward to is West Ham-Brighton. West Ham had a really brilliant season last time out, but they are yet to score points. And they are up against a very, very well-oiled Brighton team. So, if they don't score any points here, that will be pressure straight away on Moyes after the amount of investment they have done with two new attacking players. Uh, uh, and they are really short on the defensive side with, with uh, injuries, injuries, to the back line. So, uh, what, that that game will be an interesting watch.
0: Yeah, and despite the fact that they've made so many signings um, towards the attacking part of the team, I don't think they've scored a goal yet, let alone a point. So, that's also there to consider. Uh, Fulham Brentford also seems like something which we initially tagged as uh, in our pre-season expectations as, as a potential relegation face-off. But, I mean, Brentford would be flying high. Uh, after what they did uh, this round against United and let's see how that goes but um, yeah, Fulham need to be very scared and so does Ab with Mitrovic Yeah, I think that will be an interesting
4: one to keep an eye on as will Leeds-Chelsea I think so that's usually a pretty feisty game Uh, Leeds have started pretty well a win and a draw Uh, I think uh, this could be a pretty interesting game Uh, I think Chelsea will need the three points if they do want to keep up uh, with the
0: teams around them. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, this is a weird rivalry, right? It's it's not a geographic rivalry. It's it it doesn't define us, but somehow Leeds versus Chelsea is historically uh, a great rivalry. Uh, Leeds Chelsea FA Cup final from the 70s or the 60s is the single most watched. Football match on BBC of all time. I mean, I, I think it's still in the top ten or something. So um, that's that's a very interesting, quaint rivalry which doesn't have any uh, uh, bearings in usual rivalry measures. But uh, apart from that, uh, Leicester Southampton, two teams that are underwhelming uh, so far. Uh, let's see how that one pans out. Uh, I mean, I would say probably Leicester edge it just just a bit. Bournemouth-Arsenal, uh, we're I think we are uh, foreseeing an Arsenal win, easy Arsenal win.
4: I think it might be a little harder, but I do expect Arsenal to win. Uh, I think Bournemouth at home, uh, I think that will be not the easiest proposition. Probably Arsenal's toughest game up until now, I would say.
0: I mean, even more than Leicester, that's quite some backing for Mr. Parker and his uh, multicoloured jackets. Uh, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, I mean, I'm leaning slightly towards Crystal Palace here. Uh, uh, we talked in part two about how Aston Villa are, uh, have not been up to the level that we expected them to after all the signings that they've made. Uh, Palace were pretty organized. We haven't seen them af- apart from the game against Arsenal. We'll see them uh, by the time the spot is out because the, as as we said before, Liverpool game is tonight. But they have better organization. Uh, Vieira has them playing in a uh, more uh, palatable manner, so I mean I would say that Palace might edge it with uh, Villa. Finally, Spurs versus Wolves. Um, DSK, any thoughts on this one? Who are you calling this one for? Uh,
2: I expect it to be a really boring 1-1. Uh, Kane also on to Nick, uh, but overall not going to be a not going to be the most entertaining game. Uh, wolves have not been playing that well and they, they are struggling with injuries uh, but the more surprising part is how uh, spurs have been playing a lot of us had them for the third position but they don't seem to be playing a lot of fluid attacking uh, easy on the eye football yet uh, with their num the number of striking uh, sorry attacking and wing back options uh, but the quality is still there so i expect them to uh, the game at the end
0: sure so that brings us to the end of uh, this episode we'll see you again next week after the upcoming round till then um, have a good week enjoy and uh, yeah have a good night